Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Their pitch is a women's football podcast in collaboration with Adidas, who have recently released a new shoe called Predator Edge. And there are four front figures of this shoe, and it's Wendy Renard, Christine Endler, Tony Duggan, and Abby Dahlkemper, who have all gone out on their social media and posted something that speaks to them and possibly also the rest of the world. Mia, which which quote is your favorite and why? Yeah, I think I, I'm sort of in love with the Tony Duggan one because she has I play for the girl who grew up without opportunities and and then it's impossible it's nothing and I really I like that what's yours so I really enjoyed the Wendy Renard one because it says they told me I will never win a trophy so I won seven and I think the message behind that is to not care about what other people tell you and just do your thing That's how I interpreted it, and I really, really liked it. We've reached episode 10, and time absolutely flies when you're having fun. We can't thank you guys enough for your engagement, your reviews, and for the fact that you're listening. So please don't forget to keep sharing and keep listening, and we appreciate every single one of you guys who are listening. This week's Dare Pitch player is Ingebjörg Sigvardotter, a centre-back who plays in the Norwegian league Topserien and in the club Våleringa IF. She's also a part of the Icelandic national team and on August 17, 2011, at 13 years old, she debuted for her childhood and local club Grindavik's senior in a match against Protur Reykjavik in the top-tier women's football league in Iceland. In 2012, at the age of 14, Ingebjörg signed with Bredablik, the record champions in Icelandic women's football. She turned to Sweden and Dalmatsvenskan in the 2018 season to play for Djurgården's IF and she stayed there until 2020. She then joined her current club, Volerenga, to play in the Norwegian top serien. Sigvardotter made her debut for Icelandic senior national team in 2017 and has since then 44 appearances for her country. You're listening to Their Pitch and this is the Ingebjörg Sigvardotter episode. I mean, with an Icelandic accent, you would say Ingebjörg. But with your more singing Swedish act- accent, it sounds good too, Ingebjörg. So... But Ingebjörg Sigurdóttir, that's uh, how you say it. Back with another week and another podcast, another player. Ingebjörg, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good. I'm excited to be here, so I'm really happy to be here. We're, we're excited to have you here, but we're going to start with a quote from someone that knows you very, very well, who's chosen to describe you <laughs> Okay. Um, for this podcast. And you have to guess who this is. Oh. 
And the pressure really is on you because nobody's gotten it wrong so far. <gasps> okay. All right, so I'll start and you just listen. And if there's anything you want me to repeat, you just holler, okay? Mm, okay. Ingebjörg is a player that always gives more than 100% of herself in every training and every game. She has ambitions and motivation that would last for three people or more. She's a person that everyone wants on their team because she would sacrifice herself for all teammates without hesitation. She is a beast on the pitch, incredibly strong, wins most duels, and is good on the ball with both her right and left foot. She hates to lose, and if that happens, nobody, and I really mean nobody, will be able to miss how she feels about it. However, outside the pitch, she is the sweetest person I know, who is always on for a good laugh from our time in Breda Blick and in Jurgården, and also the Icelandic national team. I know that Björgan always will give everything that she got. Oh, that has to be Gudrun Arnadottir. So I see, Björgan, is that your nickname? Yeah. Uh, for some people, I, I don't 100% agree with it, but I, I think it's, yeah, it's stuck with me. So. All right. We want to get to know who you are on a more personal level, but also a football level. So we're going to start with the fact that you just signed an extension, a two-year deal with Våleringa where you play right now in Norway. Tell us about that and what is it about Norway and the club that makes you want to stay there? Um, Volleringa has one of the best facilities in, uh, for a women's club that I've ever seen. Like uh, It's insane how good we have, uh, have it and all the coaching staff and um, just everything around it. So that really impresses me. And they have big ambitions for... Um, for the team both uh, in Norway and uh, outside Norway so uh it's a it's a different project that I, than I had imagined myself going I mean I could have maybe taken a step and go to a bigger club in a bigger league but uh, I think it's a it's a project and a goal that I really have ambitions for myself and something I want to be a part of. So, uh, being a big part of Wolleringa and getting them to go to Champions League every year and, uh, putting, uh, the name into Europe, uh, is something that I really want to be a part of. So yeah, that's the biggest reason. You're talking about the facilities and that it's like, Considering their facilities and all that, they're one of the best clubs you've been at. Whenever we have guests here on this podcast, the supporters want to know what's the biggest difference between the leagues that you've played in. Would you mind giving your take on that perspective, considering you've played in Iceland, Norway and Sweden? Um, yeah, I would say, um, of course, Sweden is a really strong league and has a lot of uh, really good teams. And yeah, maybe... The top teams in Sweden are a bit better than the top teams in Norway, but uh, it's both really equal leagues. And um, I would say the facilities are maybe a bit better in Norway. And I feel like um, the league has a really strong uh, or like the the ones who are in charge of the league in Norway have a really uh big ambitions of like making the league strong and uh, making it professional and giving it media attention and everything. So I think that's something Norway does really well. Um, but then uh, also the league here in Norway is really physical and fast and uh, it's more of a yeah, faster game than maybe in Sweden. In Sweden, it's more uh, tactical maybe. And uh, so that's like the biggest difference. But the uh, 
then of course uh, Iceland is a bit further behind with the um, with the teams being professional and stuff. Of course, there's a lot of uh, Icelandic players playing in that league that are not on professional contracts. So the just like the pay gap is huge between the leagues. Um, so yeah, I would say that's the biggest biggest difference. But it's a while since I played in Iceland, so uh, yeah. At least for me now, that I think that's the biggest difference. And I, I, you're talking about how the players in Iceland usually, when they play for the league, they don't have professional contracts. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Because I know that I had a, a guy in my class. He went, they went to Iceland while we were studying and they looked at the football and it's that way for both men and women, right? Yeah. Or I think, um, the men are getting a bit more than the women. I mean, I think most players are getting something, but it's definitely not uh, enough to focus 100% on football. Um, everyone is uh, either working or in school with football. Um, so, but uh, the men do get a, a little bit more than the women, but uh, it is definitely both not, uh, yeah, both the leagues are semi-professional. Yeah. Do you think that kind of like affects the way of having young talent like on the women's side come up considering the leagues the league might not be top top tier and it's semi-professional I think it it, there's positive and negative negatives to it because most of the young talents that uh, come up uh, to the main team in the league they get a lot of playing time so that kind of uh, helps with the the transition from uh, the under 19s up to uh, adult uh, football so um like and the ones that later go play professionally and go with the national team they have spent many years playing pro, uh, in the highest league with um so i think that's a really good thing and a really positive thing about the Icelandic league uh but then of course it is harder to go to the leagues outside iceland and kind of the step is bigger to take than maybe for uh, players that um are in Sweden or Norway or England or whatever, yeah. We're going to continue on the Icelandic top kind of league and like women's football in Iceland. Is it is it true that most teams slash clubs are like located in Reykjavik or? Yeah, most of the ones in the top league are located in Reykjavik. But then, yeah, there are um, a few few teams that are still like you can just drive uh, always to Reykjavik. But uh, yeah. That's the biggest teams. Did you grow up in the capital, in Reykjavik? Uh, no, I grew up in uh, Grindavik. It's uh, about maybe 40 minutes from uh, Reykjavik, so, but it's a, a small town. So, yeah. When you grew up, how did you start playing football in general? My town is a, it's a really big sports town where everyone just plays all the sports. And uh, so I think I was around four or five when I started walking from kindergarten straight to football practice. So, and we like all my friends played football and basketball and everything. So, uh, it was an easy start, uh, to go there. And how was it when you took that step up from youth level to professional level? Um, it happened pretty quickly. I was young when I went up to the, to the senior team. Uh, I was 13 when I started with them. So, uh, that's uh that's pretty young but um yeah it happened really quick and uh, i adjusted really well to it and i was 
I mature really young. So I've been pretty much the same since I was 13. <laughs> so um, I was already strong and could handle it. So, yeah. And do you think that's helped you as a player that you started so young, like as a 13 year old? I think that kind of, I would say if I, if I were to be picked up for the senior team as a 13 year old, I think that would kind of push me to become better and better. Uh, yeah. I mean, it definitely motivated me. Uh, I was, uh, had more, uh, better players around me and I really had to, uh, do my best in every game if I wanted to have a chance against them. So it definitely pushed me and, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think it made me a better player to do that. And you're also playing for the Icelandic national team. Yeah. How would you say, like, where is the federation at right now with developing and, like, noticing and developing women's football? I think it is getting better and better, but uh, I think there's a lot of steps that can be taken, too. We don't have, we just have under 17, under 19 uh, national team. So it's kind of a, a gap there in between the under 19 and the main national team. We don't have any under 21 or under 23. So I think that kind of, uh, a lot of girls that are really talented at 19 after, if they don't reach the senior national team right away, they, uh, kind of can, uh, tend to fall out. Um, so I think that's a bit of a shame, but, uh, I know they have been looking at it for a few years, uh, doing that and developing something. So hopefully that helps. What do you think it means for, cause we saw, we saw the success the men's team had when they played. I think it was the world cup, right? When they made it quite far. I don't remember exactly. Which or was one it was. the Euros? Yeah. It was one major, it was, it was a major tournament and I feel like everyone just kind of fell in love with Iceland and their national team. Do you feel like that kind of, that, that, that has come over to the women's side as well. And that the Federation is noticing and they're like, okay, but the women's have, the women have been doing this for years. I think it was more of a normal thing always that the women's team would made it, make it to the finals of the Euros at least. Uh, so, and it was just kind of like a, I don't know. It didn't get as much attention as the men's reaching there, but I think uh, a lot of people noticed how how special it is when uh, the men's team made it, and then kind of gave us uh, more attention to what we had been doing for a few years now, and what the uh, older generations have been doing. And so I think that, yeah, I think that made people appreciate us a bit more and just kind of notice us a bit more. And what does it mean for you as a player? To play in the Euros and what do you think it'll mean for um, Icelandic women's football that you guys are playing? No, I think it means so much to us uh, to be playing there and we have a high standard to always reach the Euros and of course we want to reach the World Cup too but we haven't done that yet but uh, uh, I just remember when I was younger and I would see all of those uh, girls reach the Euros and I would see watch them on TV and everything like it gives you so much to see that you can be there one day and and uh, so yeah it's uh, really important and on a personal level you are a center back mm. why why did you choose to become a defender tell us the story why uh, I was always a midfielder um, and then uh, I think I was maybe yeah I was like 17 maybe when uh, I played one summer uh yeah. One uh Gudrun actually, see uh Gudrun Arnadotter, she was going to uh college and then she had to leave when it was half of the season left and then we didn't really have another center back, so I was just kinda of put there and uh 
it worked out pretty good. So, uh, and I've never gotten to go back to the midfield. So, <laughs> but I'm really happy with it. I think it's, uh, I think it's really fun to be in that position. So, but sometimes I miss going running up forward and, and being more included in that. But you weren't always just playing football. You also played basketball in the highest league in Iceland. Yeah. Tell us about that time and why you chose to go with football and not basketball. I loved basketball when I was a kid and I always even liked basketball more than football. Um, and I was always playing with as many teams as I could play with the boys and the older girls and everything. And, but then when you're, uh, both, I was both going with a youth national team in football and basketball to trips and, and then it was just a bit too much. Um, and at already at uh, the under 17s in the football, then it gets much more serious. Um, and the competition is bigger. Um, so you kind of have to make a decision. And I was also offered then from Predeplik to join them. Um, so I would have to move from my town and I was really in basketball. I, I could not play for another team than my whole town team. So, uh, yeah, I just had to pick. Um, and also the opportunities of being professional in football are so much bigger than basketball. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of it. So we've gotten to know you a little bit and your role in Iceland and everything kind of around the whole thing, but we want to dig in deeper. And Mia's going to take over and you guys are going to talk a little bit about some football analysis. And let me tell you, I learn something new every time I listen to this because Mia knows so much about it. I don't know as much. So I'm I'm just sitting here listening and taking it all in. I'm excited. I'm excited. I want to go back to the basketball versus football part. If you have been uh, playing basketball, then I guess you your height uh, is a bit higher higher than than I mean the average and and as a center back you know you you need to be good uh, with headers and and in the air and and stuff do you do you feel the relation between basketball and center back like I just felt no I I think it definitely helps um, basketball is so much. Uh... You know, foot, uh, footwork and, um, you know, you're always kind of jumping around. And, uh, <laughs> so I think it definitely helped. Um, it's, uh, it's so different, but there's so many aspects of it that you can move into football. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to say it helped a lot. <laughs> May I just chime in and ask how tall you are? Um, on a good day, I'm, 168. Oh, that's about as tall as I am. Mm. So not really tall. I, my dream was always to be 170, but I don't think it's going to happen. So when you watch a football game, can you just enjoy it and watch the game? Or do you always think about, Oh, they do this. That's interesting. Or now they do this and this is how they build up the play and this is how they put pressure on it on the opponent and stuff. Uh yeah, I'm actually a I'm a big football nerd. I and sometimes it is a bit bothering that I can't just watch and enjoy it. I'm always, you know, oh, why do they do this and oh, it I'm sometimes like, oh, it's so simple just uh do this and then you'll be fine with the pressure. Oh, but but um I mean, I love football. I can watch it all day, every day, so uh 
I like it. And I like thinking and I like uh, watching it with um, other people too, like my teammates and think about it. So, yeah. So I- I'm going to have to ask you about that because you say you watch a lot of football. Do you watch uh, a lot of women's football yourself? Being in Norway, uh, how accessible is uh, the the other women's leagues for you? I mean, I watch a lot of women's football and I always try to watch the big games. And um, uh, yeah, so I always find a way or most of the time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So back back to the center back part. I mean, if um, if you would describe to someone else what your role and what your position. Uh, is how would you describe the role and position as a center back? What what's it like? I mean, it is kind of like um, the you, you can look at it as a point guard in basketball. You start every attack with the ball, and you're kind of like seeing the solutions and seeing where uh, how to start the attack. Um, but uh, and but I also like about it when even when we are attacking as a team. You also have to think a lot about what's happening, like what the players you have to mark, how to position the people around you. So it's a big leader role. I think you have to be a big leader to play as a center back, or at least that's a good thing if you are. But then, um, yeah, it's just uh, controlling everything defensively and offensively, trying to position everyone right. And, uh, and uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I kind of have a you know like um, a view on on center backs that you are very uh, structured players. You like structure in the line. <laughs> I mean, I, I I might be wrong though. No, you're definitely right. Um, but uh, I'm we're definitely annoying players or at least I am I'm always calling my midfielders trying to move right move right move left to take this player calling my wing backs to do something so but I think it's also important and I think uh, it's a uh, you have to kind of prepare for what's about to come or kind of read the game uh, uh, before the actions happen so uh, then you have to have structure and you have to control the people around you. You're more safe having control. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's our job to keep the goal safe and and keep everything under control. So, yeah. Every role uh, sort of has changed through the years, like what's a modern centre-back now. But how would you describe it since you started playing... Uh, as a center back, do you think the roles, uh, the role have uh, changed throughout the years? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they have uh, bigger roles in the attacks than they used to. And it's more, you have to be good, uh, have good passes and uh, have good technique. And uh, most teams want to play from the goal, uh, goal kick. So you have to kind of have that vision that maybe you didn't have to have a few years ago. And, uh, and, yeah, I think it's developed a lot. It's uh you don't have to maybe of course it's always cool to make a nice tackle, but 
it's also really cool to be able to read the game so you don't even have to tackle. So I think it's like, you know, it's gotten smarter. You have to be smarter now, I think. Yeah. And you said before about the Swedish league and, and maybe the Swedish football is more about tactics. Mm. So, I mean, a, a lot of, there's an, a lot of an analysis out there right now. I mean, I think most people watching football is doing the analysis and stuff, even though you're not educated and just mm-hmm. a fan and, and something like that. So you, if, if you would describe that part, uh, and the difference, uh, between Sweden and Norway, for example, how do you use football analysis in your club? Right now, I played in such different teams in both of these leagues. I mean, with Jurgården, we uh, we were defending so much, and it was a uh, yeah, we, it was much more of a defensive work uh, to lay a bit lower against teams. And um, but with Wolleringa, we have the ball ninety uh, percent of the time. Like it's so different. So um, it's so hard to compare how it is from this club to the other one. But I think just. The Norwegian football is more direct and more uh, faster and uh, kind of more duels. And while uh, Sweden is more just like, you know, letting the ball move ar- around a lot and trying to like figure out ways to go through. And um, yeah, that's a, uh, and there's, yeah, I think that's the biggest difference. But I, like I say, it's so hard to compare because I was in so two different opposite teams you've got an involving so uh, yeah and and from from your role and your position i mean i think it's kind of interesting to ask players this question but in what way do you think your performance on the pitch is affected uh, looking at how much information analysis you have uh, on your opponents before you go out to play a game no i think it's really affected and I think especially, I mean, in defensively, you can kind of, you kind of know players if you in the league. Uh, but of course, uh, it's uh, important to know a bit about them. What, uh, what do they usually go for in their attack and what, what do they look for and what positions do they want to get themselves in? But I think offensively, it's, uh, even more important, just like knowing in before, uh, where the spaces are, how to, how to build up. I mean, this year we've, uh, in Volleringa, we focused a lot about, uh, how to start the build up and how to, if we want to build up with three, uh, three in the back. And if we want to, when do we want to take a midfielder down? When do we want to push a wing back up? It's like all these different ways. And so, and it's been really interesting and a big learning process for me to like kind of read the game also while it's happening. But it is so, uh, helpful to know beforehand and get information from the coaches about, uh, what kind of ideas you have to have in your mind, even though it's not always the right and the only solution, just to have like these different images. Okay. They tend to do this. Then you can kind of set your mindset to it before. So, I mean, this is also very interesting because I, I think for myself, uh, if I'm getting a task, <laughs> uh, assigned for myself, then if I get too, Im- too much information, then it can be stressful. So do you think? Have you ever experienced that uh, playing for the national team or your club team that you you feel like oh this is too much information and and this affect my performance the other way? Yeah, I mean, there. I think it is like in the in the beginning when you're learning a lot of things. If you're like when you 
the coach I had these last two years, uh, uh, Jack uh, Maigard Jensen, he's really tactical and he, he is so, um, he gives a lot of information. So when I came to Wolleranga, I learned so many new things. So that kind of, uh, after every game, I thought I did so, I was like, yeah, I remembered these two things. It was so good. But then it was like, oh, you didn't do this. Why didn't you, you forgot about that. And then I was like, oh, I for-. like there was always something I forgot. But I think with time, you kind of learn what, uh, what it is important and what can you just kind of, it comes automatically up in your head. So I think in the beginning, when you're maybe transitioning into a more tactical environment, then it can be difficult, but as as more as you learn yourself and kind of get the hang of it yourself then it gets easier yeah i mean that's interesting though because we're mm. we're all different kind of people individuals with how what's best for us to know before we're we're going to perform yeah. and deliver yeah yeah and then there's so many players also that just don't have that ta- tactical mindset or maybe don't even have, I mean, not, it's actually very few players that are really interested in the tactical parts and that are really, um, curious about it. So, uh, then it's of course different for players that maybe don't have that, um, natural interest in it and the curious curiosity. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely different between people. Yeah, it's different between players as well. And this is why we ask these questions, because we think it's it's interesting to know. Yeah, it's also like a big thing with uh, having good communication with your coach and the staff around you. Like, what do you actually need and what do you not need? I mean, I some things uh, just uh, are a dis- distraction to players and they don't need it. And uh, And then it's also, I think coaches need to be open to like, uh, if a player comes to them and says, I, I can't, this is too much or, uh, this doesn't help me, then they have to kind of put themselves into their shoes and be like, okay, like, what do you need? How do you, how's the best way for me to help you? So, um, yeah, I think that's really important. And that's probably what, what separates a good coach from, or what separates a decent coach from a great coach is when they realize that each and every player is an individual and they need different things. And that's when you're successful when you listen to what what each individual needs, I think. Mm, yeah. We have a lot of interesting questions from people who are very much into football. And we are going to jump into those right now. And let me kick it off with asking you from one of our listeners that... Uh, this person wants to know how vital is the communication in in a central defensive unit uh, and what position do you consider that is the most vital for your own role to partner up with the best? Hmm, that's a really good question, actually. Uh, I mean, I think if there's some position that needs to have communication, it's the center backs. Uh, we see everything that's happening in front of us. Um, so... I mean, it's so important to have good communication and also good communication with the other center back that you're kind of on the same page. And, and uh, after some, after playing a lot together, you kind of don't have to say everything. You just are in a rhythm. Um, but I think um, the communication between center defender and the midfield is really important uh, because uh, you never want to... The, op- uh, the opposite team to play through your midfield. Uh, so 
And if those lines are not together, both the distance from the uh, the width and the length of the team, uh, you want to have it as uh, short as possible, and and you want to have a strong unit there with the midfielder. So I think that's really important. Can you describe the differences about the center back role in a back three versus a back four? And what's your favorite formation? The biggest difference. I mean, the biggest difference is that you have. Uh, Uh, in the defensively, you have three or an extra player in the box protecting the goal, like closest to the goal. So that can be really helpful. And, uh, and, uh, it's harder to break down a, a line with three center backs and two full backs. Um, so of course we, we did that for a bit with the national team. And, uh, when we were, we had to play a lot of defense. So, uh, that's the biggest difference defensively. And then of course it has its, uh, uh positive with uh, offensively you get uh, two of the center backs um have more of an offensive role and can take the ball forward which is really fun i mean that you get the uh, permission to go a bit more forward and take the ball up and then you always have two backup players behind you so uh that's that's a nice thing to have too uh, so you talked about tackles before uh, and tackles whenever you have to tackle is that because of bad positioning in the first place or can it be used as a strategy in the defensive play um i think both can uh, i mean sometimes it's i've heard many times uh, the tackle is your last option or that's uh, if you have done something bad then you have to tackle but i mean then it's also sometimes you know a player that's maybe really fast or that's a, that takes a long first touch or something then you can kind of like read that moment and get into a tackle then um, but uh, I think you can prevent having to tackle a lot of the times but also tackles are really cool so everyone loves a good tackle but yeah I think I mean it can't be used as a strategy I'm not gonna back, back of that sometimes uh, it I yeah sometimes I think it's a uh, the way to do it with some players. Yeah, and then I'm going to have to ask you this myself. Would you consider yourself to be a good tackler? Yeah, I think I'm a good tackler. I think it's also like, you know, the feeling you get on the pitch when your teammate makes a great tackle and like the uh, the opposition is on the ground and like not hurt, but like it sets a tone and you're just like, yeah, like, come on. And, you know, it's such a good signal too. So sometimes you need a tackle just to give a good uh, tone to the other team. So as a defender in the modern modern game of football, how important is it to be comfortable on the ball and under opposition pressure? Oh, it's so comf- uh, it's so important and uh, like I said most of the teams today want to play out of the goal kick and want to uh, do as li- uh, little long just kicking and kick and run. Uh so I think um it's all about uh, having good confidence and feeling trusted in a way. Um as long as you're a bit shaky in the back then uh, the opposition they can sense it so uh, yeah it's really important I think the next question kind of touched what we have talked about before but but I'm going to read it anyway because you might find a different approach to this than than um, uh, I'm seeing but is a proactive uh, approach in defending and this is like uh, actively closing down space spaces uh, better than a 
reactive approach, making tackles, uh, and etc. Is there a right approach to defend? Um, I mean, I think you always have to be proactive. Uh, you have to like kind of read what's happening and, and uh, close the space and everything. But I mean, it is also uh, like, it is also a good thing to like kind of make the opponent think that you don't see it or like trying to trick them into doing a pass. Like if you kind of trick them into, okay, pass this player the ball and then you know it's going to happen and then you're in their face already and they can't do anything and then you can win the ball. So I think, um, that's a good, uh, good way to do it also, kind of like trick them into it. But then like with football, you, not always everything goes well in the defending. So you're always going to have to react and make a tackle or, <laughs> or, uh, yeah, get into the space late. So yeah. But on a personal level, how do you deal with, with quick forwards? You kind of have to use your strengths against theirs and kind of, uh, I don't want to say play it play dirty but like you have to like we have to read what they're gonna do and most of the time if uh, if you have a quick forward they're gonna try to run behind and then you kind of just have to be ready to step into them and and uh, also uh it's much more important than to look at the player that has the ball too. kind of look where their head is turning um if they take a long touch you have to drop uh quicker and if they are looking uh, in the direction of the forward or the space, then you, you kind of have to be more observant of the other players than just the forward. So, or the fast player. So I think that's the biggest difference to just, yeah, read the game quicker. It is some, sometimes you just need one shoulder in the shoulder to shoulder and win them then. And then it's like you kind of set the tone I'm always setting the tone with a tackle but you know it's still it still is like it is a signal and it's like you're not getting past me and then they will be they will back off most of the time how important are physical attributes when it comes to winning defensive duels that is pretty important uh, you have to be a bit tough but um there are also great uh, great central defenders that uh, don't look like they're uh, they're the strongest person on the field, but, uh, I mean, you kind of, you have to have that, uh, uh, it's more like of the mentality that you're like always, uh, getting up again and always, you can't really just, if you lose one duel, you're just like, oh, okay, next one will take it. Like you are the last player there. So, um, I think of course, uh, physical attributes are important, but I think it's more of just like toughness and just, being the annoying player that's always in the back and is just like, get away from me. <laughs> like, so yeah. Considering you're a center, center back, we're going to, obviously we're talking about a lot of defense here. Um, but is it always better to buy time for the defense to regroup in, in a transitional situation or how do you approach, how do you approach those kind of counterattacks? I think it's, you definitely have to, um, be smart in the decision in the transitions. Uh, I think, um, at least, uh, how I think it is, uh, uh, you want to drop quick and you want to like get everyone together compact. And then of course, um, at some point someone has to step up, but I think it's really important to get the team together and, uh, be compact in front of the goal. Um, but then uh, also 
being ready if there if the player takes a long touch that you're ready to step and intercept uh, the ball there so uh, yeah but really important to get the team compact who is the most intelligent defender you've been partnered with i think it is a glotis paradlavik she's really smart in those things um uh, in these kind of things that we just talked about, uh, dropping down and, and then she sees the moment to attack or even having the player in front of her and the player takes a bit long touch forward. She's always, uh, smart to get in front of the player and take the ball. And so I think she's, uh, a really intelligent uh, center back. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, she's showing that also now with, uh, Bayern and, taking a huge role in the national team. So, yeah. Where do you see the future of defending tactically going forward? Do you see more elaborate roles for center backs being introduced? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely going to develop. And I think uh, just with also uh, offensive players being getting better and more technical and smarter, that has uh, then the center backers have had to uh, get smarter too. So I think every position kind of pushes each other to take the next level. And um, but I don't really know what uh, what kind of development it will be. But there will definitely be something new, and I hope so. I mean, it's always nice to have new challenges. What three traits uh, do you deem most important to work on? Mm, I think um, I think it's. Uh, Decision making on the ball, uh, with the ball is really important. Uh, um, kind of not just, um, of course you have to have good passes, but I think it's, uh, really important to have good decision making, um, uh, and reaction to what happens in front of you. Um, and then, uh, one on one defending. I think, uh, it's really important. I'm not saying it to be in a dirty way, but I'm saying like, you know, do you know what I mean when, like, you have this, I rem- like, I have some players too, and also it can be uh, forwards too, where it's just like, it's annoying to have those people around you. It's just like, you're just, they're always in your face, and they're always there, and even though the ball is on the other side, they're on you, and always reminding you that they're there. And, you know, it's the most annoying players to play against. And you feel it brings you down too because you get a bit like shaky or you get the, you lose a bit of confidence. So I think to be, when you're a defender, you have to be, you have to be annoying or you have to be like constantly, um, trying to, you know, read the game constantly in their face. Yeah. In their face. And like, yeah, it's just it's so annoying when the player is always a step before you. And you're like, you're going to take the ball and then the player is already there. So I think uh, reading the game and uh, being annoying. What do you think is the biggest uh, thing the Icelandic national team as a whole needs to improve on? Hmm. I think we need to improve uh, more offensively or like as a whole, because we are really good at defending and we're really, we're really good at counterattacks. And, uh, you know, because we've been so used to playing really deep defense and then just, um, relying on counterattacks a lot of the time. But now, like we talked about, the football has developed so much and, uh, it has shown like how good it is to be able to play from goal kicks and play through the midfield and all that. So I think uh, we have to be a bit 
more confident in uh, in that part of our game. But uh, I think we've all, we're already de- developing in it with the, all the young players that are coming up now. We have so many young talents that are kind of pushing the other ones too to take that step because they're comfortable with the ball and uh, they want to play football and uh, not just kick it long. So, yeah. We've come to the end section uh, where we're going to ask you this or that five rapid fire questions. There's no time to think. We'll start with the first one, which is a good slide tackle or intercepting a pass that is about to break the lines. A good slide tackle. Scoring a goal yourself or preventing the opponent from scoring? Preventing the opponent from scoring. Coming on from the bench and making a true impact that leads to a win or starting in a mediocre game? Oh, coming off the bench. Causing a tactical foul for the opponents or taking one yourself for the team to stop a counterattack? Oh, Stopping a counterattack? Playing out from the back with short one-touch passing combining with teammates while being pressured or play a perfect long ball out from the back over the top? Oh, one-touch passes. We would like to wrap this episode up and also say a huge, huge thank you for being on this podcast. We've had a lot of fun and we've learned a lot about you and we hope you enjoyed being here as well. Yeah, that was so fun. Thanks for having me. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.